but one of the biggest things that developers themselves can do is create something that's a little bit unique in the marketplace, create something that reduces that sameness. Um, you know, if you create something that's unique, different, then you're not suffering the same levels of comparative problems that you have with properties that are, that are all the same. You are listening to the Property Developer Podcast, your home for tips, ideas, and inspiration to help take your developing to the next level. Now, here's your host, Justin Getty. Hello, and welcome to episode 24 of the Property Developer Podcast. Thanks for tuning in. I trust you are well. I've got a wonderful show for you featuring real estate agent David Stewart. We have a great chat about selling off the plan, marketing projects, and staying ahead of the competition. Before we get to that, here's a quick update on what I've been up to. My 20 townhouse project is bubbling along nicely. The back townhouses have had all the exteriors completed and they look great. The scaffolding is all down and work is underway inside, where most of the kitchen cabinetry has been installed and now the flooring is going in. I'm really happy with how they are looking, and the colour schemes seem to be working very nicely. Along the front row, they are installing the external cladding, with some of it finished, so some scaffolding is coming down. We're having to sort out an issue with mould growing in a large void beneath the kitchen area. There is insufficient airflow, which is making it damp in that area, so we are having to create some cross-ventilation by cutting a large hole in the back wall of the garage. It will be hidden behind the stairwell stud wall and placing grated vents along the front of the townhouses to get air moving around. It's annoying, but one of those issues that pops up and just has to be solved. I recently produced a short video of how the site is looking, so if you want to see how it is progressing, check out the show notes for this episode and you will find it there. The second site is also close to having the town planning application finalised. We have our proposed scheme ready with elevations and landscape plan, and we've also had a tree report done. So it is all with our private town planner who is preparing his supporting report. We should have it all ready to go in a week or so, and then we will find out how council feels about what we would like to do. We have planning policy support for our proposal, so we will be looking for council to get on board too, but you just never know. I've also been working on an investment proposal for prospective investors to get involved in our project. It's been really interesting working on an investment proposal like this because I haven't done one quite like it before. And it's been really good for giving me insight into different ways of structuring a deal and the kind of returns that investors can potentially get. Apart from that, I've been playing around with a new website that helps developers find development sites. It's been set up by a friend of mine and it's quite nifty. The website specifically caters to property developers by only listing properties that have approved plans and permits or those that have development potential. They also aggregate a lot of cool due diligence information to the listing from some of the main data providers to help you save time in doing a high-level feasibility assessment. Things like relevant overlays and relevant tribunal cases for nearby properties are accessible from the site. The site is called www.yourpropertyproject.com.au So take a look if you are on the hunt for a site and you might just find the one you are looking for. Okay, on to today's guest, David Stewart from MarketShare Property, a real estate agent who has helped us sell some of the townhouses in our current project. David has had a long career in the property industry and a successful track record of selling off the plan. He is also someone who likes to try new things and just received some industry awards and recognition for innovation and marketing. In this conversation, we talk about the keys to success when selling off the plan, where you get the biggest bang for your marketing buck, and how you can stay ahead of the competition. Of course, I started off by asking David what food he could eat until he was sick, and he surprised me with his answer. Uh, It's interesting, I could eat soup until I was sick. I'm a big fan of soup. Soup? Yeah, I like to make my own soup and make all sorts of different types of soup, so yeah, that's one of my favourites. And what particular type of soup would be your favourite soup? Experimenting with chilies and curries at the moment, which um, is not, not hugely popular with my family. Um, but, you know, you can get some interesting flavour combinations, so it keeps me amused. My brother's a, a chef, so I've, I, and my dad's a, a really good cook, so cooking's in the family. Um, I'm nowhere near their level of expertise in, in cooking, but I like to have a play. Oh, yeah, I love home-cooked soup as well. Yeah. Winter, we're in Melbourne and... 
Oh, it's just, it's great. You can store it, you can freeze it, you can come back to it. I often find a couple of days later it tastes better than the day you've cooked it, but it's just, and and there's no end of combinations. Yeah, my favourites are pea and ham soup, <laughs> homemade, and then yeah. leek and potato. Okay. I made a really good Moroccan lamb soup the other day, um, but it was a little bit spicy for the family, so I've still got like a big ton of it in the fridge waiting for me to get back to it <laughs> so is that deliberate so only you get to eat the soup no 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 um no I've, I've cooked all sorts of vegetable soups that the kids really liked and the wife really liked it's just i'm on a on a bit of a spice bent at the moment and just playing around with that but um yeah my family has a not a spicy palate so they're um not keen on my latest experiments although i, I think they're all right <laughs> Well, David, we're here today to talk about selling. So you're an, an agent based in the outer eastern part of Melbourne. So we're, what, about 39 k's out here? 33. 33 kilometres from the Melbourne post office. So you're the director of Market Share Property. I am. And you helped us sell a couple of our townhouses on our current development. Yes. It's been great working with you and the team. Can you tell us a little bit about your background, uh, how you came to own market share? I know you've had other owned other agencies or been in, heavily involved in other agencies over the years. So just give us a bit of a background on yourself. Yeah, I, um, I left school and went to university and found that uh, my educate or my higher education was probably not... I wasn't as good a student as I would have liked to have been. Um, so I left university at 23 and um, ended up becoming a real estate agent. And I fell into the job. I didn't mean to become a real estate agent. It was uh, an ad in the in the paper at the time. It was pre-internet days. That's how old I am, Justin. Um, and I fell into a job and I started working for Stockdown Lego. And um, after a year there, I ended up working at Barry Plant. Um, in Croydon. After a couple of years there, I ended up as a sales manager. Another year after that, I ended up as a partner. From there, I spent four years as a partner. From there, I spent another. I, I then bought the Ringwood and Ringwood North offices of Barry Plant. Just spent a long time as a franchise franchisee of a large couple of offices. Um, as we saw significant changes in the real estate market, significant changes in the way people were interacting, particularly online. Um, we found that the franchise model really wasn't flexible enough. We found that the challenges that we were being presented on a day-to-day basis just weren't being addressed by head office. And the nature of having a 90 office network meant that they were just un- unable to be nimble enough to move with the times. So we made a decision at the time to sell out of the franchise and um, open up an independent office. So I then moved from Barry Plant to a company called Stewart Real Estate. Now, I opened that and ran that for a couple of years. The issue that I had is I probably hadn't made a big enough leap from the franchise model. Um, I really took what I knew as a franchised agent and just replicated it as an independent. Colours and oil will, you know, navy blue and red. And um, the way we ran the office was very, very similar to my experiences as, as running a franchised office. And after a couple of years, although we're playing around with online marketing, after a couple of years, it just it really wasn't what I wanted out of a real estate office. Um, because we'd experimented a fair bit with online marketing and Facebook marketing, um, we were approached by a large agency in Ringwood who wanted some of our some of our secrets of what we did, and they wanted us to conduct some training for them in regards to online marketing. Um, we told them if they wanted our expertise, they had to buy our systems office, so they made us an offer for the office, and we sold it. Um, part of that process was I had to stay out of real estate for 12 months, so... I then took their money and spent 12 months traveling through the States and spending some time with the kids and spent a lot of time in LA and a lot of time in New York, you know, listening to people who had a lot of expertise in online marketing, um, you know, generating traffic, where traffic comes from, consumer habits online, where they spent their money, how they spent their time. We then took that came back to Australia and opened up market share property just on two years ago, two years ago, 3rd of October, 2014. So we've just celebrated our second birthday. Um, and it's been you know, very successful. We've, we took everything we knew about real estate and threw it out the window and started from a very, very much baseline. Um, and what we wanted to do was create a, a really high level of internet marketing. So that, and that's how market share was born. And that's quite timely because only in the last couple of days you've actually picked up some industry awards for the innovation that you've introduced here. Yeah, we were named as a top three finalist through realestate.com for Game Changer of the Year, and that was for our 
um, online offer management platform that allows people to make offers online to compete in an open and transparent manner. Um, we were also named as a state winner through the REIV for corporate promotion, and that was just how we go about promoting the office and promoting our services. One of the big differences between us and other agencies, we don't use our clients' money to promote ourselves. We use innovative, online, Facebook-based, um, Twitter-based, all sorts of different mediums to get our message out there. Um, we do it in a very cost-effective fashion. Yes, well, that's always been a bit of a talking point with me and other people about how customers of real estate agents really do subsidise a multi-million dollar advertising campaign for a, a lot of these big brands. And, and I found it really, really interesting in my time in the States. I spent some time with a lot of really good agents and the model over there is the agents pay for the marketing and the marketing comes off the commission. So individual clients or, or homeowners don't contribute one cent to the marketing. So because it's coming out of the agent's pocket, it's amazing how how aggressive they become in just ensuring that that marketing is only geared at generating buyer inquiry. They don't want to spend money if they don't need to spend money. So their marketing is really on point and it's really laser focused on just generating buyer inquiry. And a lot of the the excess that we're used to in Australia is, is just cut out of it. Um, and that was a really eye-opening experience for me. And, you know, I, I look at real estate in Australia and we're the one, one of the only industries in existence that allows, uh, that, that we get to spend vast amounts of our clients' money for pure self-promotion. Um, and our clients just cop it. And it's just, it amazes me that, you know, we can take something like a local paper, for example, and a local paper can 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 make up anywhere up to 40% of, a t- of someone's total marketing budget, and an agent will spend that 40%, which can equate to two or $3,000, knowing full well that on statistics generated by the local papers themselves, that less than 2%, 2% of your inquiries come from the local paper. So you're spending 40% of your budget to generate 2% of your inquiries, and it just doesn't make sense. Like, there's no realistic business model where that makes sense. The only way it makes sense is because the agents get to brand themselves and promote themselves. Um, so they push this this concept of continuing to spend money in the local paper so that they've got brand awareness amongst people out there in the, in the local community. Um, and I, I just don't think it's fair. I don't think it's fair. I don't think it's reasonable. Um, and I don't think long-term the real estate industry can continue to just willfully spend people's money with no return. So let's talk about marketing for off-the-plan properties then. That leads in nicely to that. Yep. In your experience, where do you think the biggest bang for your buck is that developers would get marketing their off-the-plan projects? Well, it's all online-based these days. Um, clearly, realestate.com and Domain are the two major portals in Victoria. Um, so obviously, there needs to be a, um, a, a listing on there. Um, Facebook has been fantastic for marketing online properties. Um, as you know, we set up a Facebook page for yours. Then I think you're still using it, it's still using it quite quite well. Um, and of all the developers, I must say, of all the developers that we've run this system with, you have taken taken that on board most wholeheartedly and I think it's paid huge dividends even after all the sales have been completed for people to be able to see what's going on to be kept up to date to know to have some sort of ownership in their purchase um, so you know really using those online mediums to, to, to specifically target the buyers that you're looking for and the demographics that you're looking for um, is the way to go and it can, can be done relatively cheaply you know the days of spending three or four thousand dollars online you know, I mean, they're, they're for the people who don't really know how to target their marketing. Once you learn how to target it, once you learn how to specifically advertise to a certain demographic, um, you know, you can get away with your major portals for less than $1,000. And for another $1,000 over the course of two or three months, you can really effectively target, as I say, specific demographics, age groups, locations. Apart from Facebook, is there anything else? Look, um... Facebook is the main one at the moment. I'm sure there'll be more that come around. I have played around extensively with Twitter advertising. Twitter advertising is great from a corporate point of view. It doesn't do a lot for individual properties. Um, 
You know, there are single property websites. We've played around with those. They generate a little bit of traffic, but once again, bang for your buck, they're not not a huge contributor to to online inquiry. Um, So you take away the major portals, which obviously are a necessity, um, because obviously anyone looking looking to buy real estate will go to either realestate.com or domain as the main two. Um, Facebook is the one as far as genuine return on investment is, is certainly the most powerful one currently um, but like anything that's that's open to change over the next couple of years yeah and i think the power with facebook is really in the ability to specifically target a, a geographic area yeah so right. five kilometers around wherever your particular project is mm. uh, and i think if you're using video you can get really good returns in terms of the investment and the cost per per view i know when we were doing it with it was something like five or ten cents mm. per view, and we were you know, picking up hundreds of views. So That's right. I think video is the way to go if you can find someone to help you to produce them. If you don't know how to do it, I'm fortunate I've got the skills to be able to shoot and edit and cut something together. But you know, with there's lots of sites that can you can get help with producing videos through Upwork.com or other online platforms. You can, and you know, you can even do video carousels within the Facebook marketing itself. Now they're they're fairly, fairly rudimentary, um, but you can put music to them. You can put up to ten images, and you can just have a carousel. And as a really basic video, it's, it's a lot more interactive than a static shot. So even as a bare minimum, something like that is really accessible to anyone, um, and it can take five minutes to put together. So something like that, you know, is inbuilt within the Facebook. Um, environment and readily available to anyone. So videos are a, a, a massive engagement improvement over static photos. Yeah, look, I think in this day and age, you really have to incorporate video, some kind of video to show your project and mm. the properties that you're, you're looking to sell. I reckon it's an absolute must-have these days. I agree. I agree. And, you know, with the um, speed of 4G these days, most people scrolling through their, their Facebook feeds in particular on their phones or their iPads. Um, let's face it, most people are looking at this stuff on mobile devices as opposed to desktops. Um, most of them have autoplay, so they'll, as soon as it scrolls up on their news feed, it'll start playing. And if it shows, if they've got some slight interest in it, they'll stop and watch it. You know, um, I know myself when I'm scrolling through a news feed, if a video within the first two or three seconds looks like something that I might be interested in, um, I'll, I'll stop and watch it. And you know, as long as it's not too long, you want to keep your, your videos relatively bite-sized so they're readily consumed. Um, but yeah, no, they're, they're a fantastic tool for just engaging people and getting to look further and you know, getting that additional level of interest. Actually, I think the latest iPhone operating system might have a built-in video uh, producing app or capability that you yeah, can stick does. photos in and it'll create a little short video. It does. It yeah, does. So. Yeah. And then in terms of printed marketing material or support material for the agents, for when prospective buyers come in, what do you like to see? What's the, what is, what's the minimum that you'd like to have and then what are some of the sort of additional extras that add, add value and help you out yeah look really good things to have are obviously brochures brochures are great I mean it's it's old school but they still work very very well because you're giving them something physical to walk out of the office with or walk away from the site with they can then take it home Oftentimes, it lands on a kitchen bench and they come back to it they scribble on it they draw on it they write on it um, as long as it's got a floor plan, floor plans are very important. People need to visualise where their furniture is going to be. Um, as far as any other additional materials, you know, it's really good to have a, a clear set of inclusions plus upgrades um, so people can see what they're getting for their money. Buying off the plan is very, very different from buying an established property. When you're buying established, you walk through, you see what you're getting. When you're buying off the plan, there's so much more that's left to the imagination. So you know, you have to be a lot more clearer in what you're providing and illustrating that to your purchasers. Um, you know, as far as extra stuff, extra stuff that's really good are... Uh, you know, um, really high quality internal artist impressions. Now we're seeing a lot more of those these days. Um, a couple of years ago or three years ago, they were prohibitively expensive, but with the increases in, you know, the availability for software to produce that type of stuff, um, you know, it really allows people once again to, to really visualise what they're buying and, and what they're getting for their money. And we have, the more we can paint the picture for people, the better we are or the more successful we are in creating that emotional attachment because we're, we're selling something that's intangible at this stage being off the plane. 
share a little bit with us about your experience selling off the plan and how that differs from existing property. I mean, apart from from the obvious, when you're taking buyers through a, a sales process, what's the key difference that you've found? Yeah, selling established is, is well, it's relatively easy. Selling established, people create their own attachments to the property. They get emotionally involved in it. They picture themselves living there. There's generally one available, so it's a lot easier to create that fear of loss and that sense of competition. Um, selling off the plan in more, most cases, there's more than one property available that are quite similar, whether it be similar in price point, similar in, in floor space, similar in bedroom layouts, all of that type of stuff. So you have to create a narrative around the property. You have to, you know, really, I guess, create a picture in people's minds of what it'll be like to live there. So you have to be a lot more creative in the way you speak to people. Um, you know, whereas with an established, you can say to someone, look, you need to put an offer in today or else someone else is going to, or we've got other interest in the property and you're going to miss out. Um, you lose a lot of that ability to create that sense of loss or fear of loss because if they miss this one, they'll just buy the one next door or the one around the corner from it. Um, so you have to either limit the amount of properties you put on the market. So if you've got a, if you've got a, a site of 10 off-the-plan units, um, it doesn't do the project any good to put all 10 on. You know, you put if you've got three different floor plans, then put one of each floor plan. So you can have a little bit more success in creating that fear of loss or that sense of urgency. Um, if you've only got two variations in floor plans then just put the two on and as they sell you then replace them and i think that's one of the biggest mistakes a lot of agents make is they'll take 20 properties and put all 20 on um and you know you've you've cut yourself off at the knees from the outset because how do you create that sense of you know fear of loss or that sense of urgency amongst your purchases if they've got all these choices to choose from um so limiting the limiting the amount you put on the market at any one time is is generally a very good way to go and you know something else i've seen on quite a lot of listings from agents doing projects is that they'll combine the list combine the the online listing yep so they'll say there's there's five units or six units mm. and they'll just they'll list some of the details for each unit in, yeah in so in bullet points unit one two bedroom one bathroom Unit two, three bedroom, one bathroom. I, just, I think that's lazy. It's lazy, and it's it's not intentionally lazy. It's it's just a lack of experience in selling these type of properties. Um, you know, I think a lot of agents spend ninety percent of their time or ninety five percent of their time selling established properties. Um, and there's been very very with, with some rare exceptions. There have been some exceptions to the rule, but with rare exceptions, there's been very few people that have specialised in off the plan stuff. So they approach off the plan exactly the same way as they approach established and they're two very very different types of markets they're two very different types of selling um you know it's a longer term process to sell off the plan if you're selling a project of four you know it can take you it can take four or five months to sell it um if you're selling a project of bigger than that it can certainly take you longer to sell it um so you need to be prepared to play a longer game than what you do with an established property um you know one of the things of putting everything on on one listing is it very very quickly gets stale um so you know it drops down the list um people see it and have disregarded it or they've already looked at it or you know they're when they're doing their searches it'll say they've already visited this site three times and you know so therefore in their own mind there's no point going back um, but by replacing listings as they sell, you're always putting stuff back to the top. You're always showing it up as a new listing. You're generating more buyer inquiry, particularly people that are looking and, um, I guess, change their search criteria for newest to oldest and as far as the listings and time on market. So as far as that type of stuff, you're keeping it fresh. You're keeping it in people's inboxes. You're keeping... Um, it on top of people's search results, so you've just got a you've got a plan to continually reinvigorating the property as it goes along, so it's always showing up as a potentially a new listing. And what are the sort of common objections that you that you have to overcome with buyers? Um, just over the last couple of years, one of the biggest objections has been that there's been so much development in the area. So, you know, sales of off the plan is very similar to sales and anything else in the respect that it's a, it's a supply and demand issue. The greater the level of supply, um, the, the, the harder it is to create the demand for it. And because there's been such a, a huge amount of development through the outer eastern suburbs over the last, particularly the last five years, and it 
shows no sign of abating, um, it's very, very hard to differentiate types of properties. So one of the biggest challenges is, or one of the biggest objections we get from purchasers is, well, I understand this one's available and it's not going to be built, it's not going to be finished until June next year. So once again, there's no urgency because they've got a whole heap of time before it's due to be built. Um, and there's another four or five projects around the corner that offer similar types of fit-outs, similar types of finishes, similar types of accommodation. Um, and, and that's that's probably the, the most difficult aspect of off-the-plan sales. And so how do you address that? There's not a lot we can do to address it. Um, we can certainly create points of difference as far as additional marketing funnels for, for buyer inquiry. Um, but one of the biggest things that developers themselves can do is create something that's a little bit unique in the marketplace, create something that reduces that sameness. Um, you know, if you create something that's unique, different, then you're not suffering the same levels of comparative problems that you have with properties that are, that are all the same. So, you know, having a bit of a think about what you build and what you design and, you know, making sure that there's the market's not already flooded with that type of product um, goes a long way to ensuring that they sell quickly. And what about copy, the words that are used to promote the, the project or the, the property listing? What's your view on that? Because most agents tend to have a fairly a, a functional approach, I guess. They just keep the copy to a minimum and tend to have a lot of bullet points just outlining some of the functions or the details of the property. Yeah, real estate copy is one of my big bugbears. Um, real estate copy, and I'm in the industry, I'll get through the first two sentences of most real estate copy and then just stop reading it because it's just annoys me because it's so 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 similar. Um, once again, it's about creating a narrative around the property. You don't want to list the points of what the property has. You know, touch on it, but don't focus on it. You want to create a perception of what it's like to live there. You know, you want to create a story about why you, your proposed demographic or your purchaser, your targeted purchaser would want to buy in that location, whether it be, um, and I think with yours, we used inner city, you know, in a real inner city feel in the outer eastern suburbs. Um, so you want to create a story around what the property offers them from a lifestyle point of view and not just tick off features. And it goes back to the really age-old marketing adage of sell the sizzle not the sausage you know you don't want to just hit points after points of what the property has because they're really really forgettable and for most people it's they read it but they don't take it in but if you can create a story about why someone wants to live there and why it will benefit them to purchase this particular property over and above everything else that's available you'll have a lot more chance of creating that engagement so you know i think agents need to become storytellers a little bit more in their advertising copy rather than just listing features yeah and i think developers need to be a bit more demanding as well from oh, their agents that that's what yeah. they want look the way real estate's going at the moment and we discussed this briefly beforehand but the way real estate's going at the moment Quite frankly, the way most agents are conducting their, their real estate businesses, most people are better off just selling themselves. They really are. Um, you know, there's not a lot of expertise in copywriting. There's not a lot of expertise in in, in marketing and marketing um, or current marketing trends. Um, in the real estate industry, there's a lot of follow the leader. You know, everyone else has done it this way. This is the way we're going to do it. Um, it's not broken. Why fix it? This is the way we've always done it. So. You know, it becomes stale really, really quickly. And I think in a really congested marketplace, like real estate always has been, you know, there's never there's never been no properties on the market. There's always something to sell. So from that point of view, you know, agents have to become a lot better at, at, at marketing and have to become a lot better at providing that value back to their clients. And being able to demonstrate, if you're going to pay a certain percentage per sale, and particularly when you're dealing with off the plan, you're starting to talk about a, a quite a large amount of money if you're talking multiple sales. You know, there has to be significant value and there has to be an ability for the agent to demonstrate that value back to their clients. What's your view on for sale boards out the front of development sites? Are they necessary? Should they be bigger the better? What should go on them? That's actually one that I'm still formulating an opinion on. We've tried smaller boards. We've tried bigger boards. Um, statistically, all right, let's just go from a pure buyer, um, buyer inquiry generation point of view or a lead generation point of view. 
they don't make a lot of difference. They really don't. Um, you know, it's, I'm having an internal debate at the moment with, with the vast amount of people online at the moment where, where the boards are actually necessary at all. Um, I'm still erring on the side of conservative as far as boards go, and we're still putting boards up. Um, as far as information goes, people drive past boards, pictures, very, very little wording if you're going to. Um, you know, if you're on a main road and people are... And it comes down, actually it comes down to relative traffic speed. Um, if you're on a main road, the bigger the board, the better, simply because people are flashing past it quite quickly because obviously the, the speed limits on main roads are, are a lot higher. If you're on a smaller residential street and people are travelling more slowly, then you don't need as big a board. Um, but it's all about visualisation and the ability for people to be able to take in the information while they're travelling. Very, very few people, despite what um, agents might tell people very very few people actually stop and look at a board because if people are going somewhere they're going somewhere for a reason so they'll very very rarely take the time out to actually pull over more often than not they'll see the board they'll see who's selling it they'll go back somewhere and google it or they'll if they've got a passenger in the car they'll look it up on their phone and, and make a phone call from there um, so contact company is, you know, you don't need big logos, but you certainly need to know who they've got to contact. Um, and photos, more photos, the better. And just a few dot points, because realistically, anything you've got written on a board for the most part is rarely read. And with buyer inquiry and, re- and reporting back to developers, or should the, should the developer be interested in statistics around buyer inquiry? Like, is that important? in terms of how many phone calls you've had or meetings you've had? Um, I think it's important that you know that you're getting consistent buyer inquiry because um, it's like anything, if the tap turns off, then there's no sales that are going to happen. Like There needs to be consistent buyer inquiry. Um, and you need to look for patterns. So if you're getting a whole heap of people coming through saying that it doesn't doesn't represent good value for money in comparison to what else is on the market then you need absolutely need to to listen to that Um, but that has to be a consistent message over a large number of buyers for it to be statistically important or relevant Um, so that stuff you need to you need to know hit rates waste of time you know one of one of the things that's really been frustrating for me over the past few years is agents like to quote views and um, on particularly on realestate.com what they fail to understand is realestate.com didn't get to be a six billion dollar company because they're morons you know they they structure a lot of that statistics to make it look a lot more favorable than what it is um, any search result anytime it shows up in any search result is classed as a view um, so it doesn't necessarily mean people have clicked through to it it doesn't necessarily mean that people have taken any interest in it um, you know half the time it's agents and, and people just doing research on the market and whether they click through or not, if it shows up in a search result, it's classed as a view. Uh, and that's really, really misleading. So you can have something that says it's got 12,000 views on it, but realistically, how many people have clicked through? So, you know, as, as far as as far as that type of stuff, there needs to be a greater understanding of what you need to know and, you know, what, uh, what, a, what a developer or any client of real estate or any vendor of real estate needs to know is how many people have actually clicked through to the site, how many people have looked at floor plans, how many people have clicked on the the agent reveal, which shows phone numbers and email addresses, because that's an indication of how many people have decided to either email you or pick up the phone. So a really loose idea of, of what the what the click-throughs are like and, and what the, the interaction and the engagement is really important. Um, but you'll notice when you go to a real estate listing and all clients can do it, you can look up in the top right-hand corner and it's got the views there. Um, completely disregard that. It's just a meaningless statistic and has no value in being reported back to a, a client or a buyer or anyone. It's as, about as useless as it gets as far as knowing how popular a property is. So the incoming phone calls are probably one of the, the key indicators. Yeah, we've, we've seen a massive drop-off in phone calls in the last 18 months. Massive drop-off in phone calls. More and more and more people now have access to emails on their phones. It used to be only people in business got their, got their emails on their phones, but more and more people now can have, have access to it. Um, and it's with the, the, the smartphones, whether it's Samsungs or iPhones or whatever, um, it's really, really easy to set up an email on a phone these days. So more people, 
And the other thing that we've got to be aware of is people don't want to talk to agents. You know, we like to think that we're this be-all and end-all of, you know, customer service at the end of the day. People hate us. I think it's time the real estate industry really took that on board and understood it because you can only market around truth and you can only market around what your reality is. And the reality of our market is buyers and vendors hate us. <laughs> it's just, that's, just, that's just the nature of being a real estate agent. Um, so people don't want to talk to us if they don't have to. So so much more of our inquiries are email-based these days where people just jump on realestate.com or domain, they'll hit the email agent button and they'll flick off an email from there. Um, and from there, if you're lucky, they've got a phone number. You never return an email with an email. If there's a phone number there, always ring the client back. You're always better off to speak to them. Um, if there's no phone number, then you're not left a lot of choice. You just have to email, and really from that point, you're crossing your fingers and hope they, re- they respond to you. So then with the email, what have you got any tips, or how would you go about making or crafting an effective email response back to people? Yeah, short and sharp, and you want to leave... You want to leave questions. You want to give them some reason for you to, for them to make contact and call you. Um, you know, if they're asking for a specific price or or what, um, you know, what's included. You know, it, it's always an idea to say that we have comprehensive information that's available. But you'll need to contact us for so we can afford it to. Um, but you want to you want to depending on what the inquiry is. Um, the other thing with a lot of the major portals, they now have tick, box, tick boxes on email inquiries. So rather than the buyer actually writing what they want, there's just a tick box, you know, price indication, copy of the contract, something like that. Um, so if they're not actually putting in a, a direct message, whatever their requirements are, whatever they've asked for, you're probably better off to send a message back saying you need to contact us to get this information because there's a lot more involved than just stuff out to you um but really try and get that that contact and that discussion with the buyer because they might flick off 10 emails and get 10 emails back and only read one of them so you you need to speak to those people so that you can ascertain just how interested they are what they're looking for whether they're actually a legitimate lead um the other reality with most real estate leads is eight out of ten real estate leads are 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 useless they don't go anywhere you know they're um people just having a bit of a look around or checking the market or doing their own research. So, I reckon in this day and age, a, a new tactic that you could try with your email response is actually a short video message mm. outlining some of the, the project or some of the features, the benefits of it, just very short and sharp and flick that back to the, uh, to the owner. It's and interesting. At the end saying, give us a call, we can... Um, tell you a little bit more about it just again standing out mm. and something a bit different it's interesting we've just started doing that with established property we've got an established property um, we've got a, a, a guy who is a um, professional renovator so he goes in he sells probably two or three properties a year but he buys rundown properties then just completely renovates them um, we structured a really short slideshow video we did that in house just put some really bad jazz music to it it wasn't great music but we just put some music to it and we uploaded that to YouTube so we've got that and we've just had a link to that um, we've only started doing that in the last week so it's interesting you mentioned that we've just started that that's more of an, an, an established property um, but I think you're right I think you've got something that people can click through to um, we run Infusionsoft on our on our database and our email um, provider, which is a really good software that allows us to see whether people open it, not only whether they open the email, but whether they click through to the attachment. Um, and we're running, uh, we only started doing that last week, about Tuesday last week, but I think we're running at about a 40% click through to the video. Mm. Yeah, well, I think video and audio mm. messages back via email are, it could be quite effective. Yeah, that's right. No, I, I agree. But having said that, we're as I said, we're still very, very early in that process, but yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. I just don't have enough enough um, previous examples to, to really break down just how effective it is, but we'll build that over the next couple of months and we'll get a much clearer idea of just how effective that is from a marketing point of view. So how would a developer go about selecting an agent to sell their off-the-plan projects? Yeah, selecting an agent is difficult because it's really hard to cut through the hype and get to the real issues 
Um, most people look at it and say, well, it's a cost versus benefit analysis. You know, and if all the agents aren't really demonstrating individual benefit and they're all pretty much the same, then it really just comes down to cost. Um, my view on it is, is cost is a, is, a, is a direct, should be a direct correlation of the value that you, you receive. So, you know, I'd be going back and specifically I'd be looking at the agent that can provide some sort of marketing solutions. You know, what you want to know is how many buyers are out there, how are you going to get those buyers? What sort of funnels you're going to use to bring those buyers to the door? Um, how are you going to create a point of difference? If we're talking about off-the-plan properties and we know that there's a lot of development in the particular area that you're building and you know there's a lot of choice, well, you really have to work hard to differentiate your product from what else is on the market. And you need someone who can articulate that and could provide you with a clear plan as to how your property is going to stand, or how your properties, I should say, are going to stand out amongst the crowd. Um, and if they can't articulate it, and if they can't give you a, a concrete plan in how they're going to do it, then it's it's time to look at another agent. Okay. And then tell us when you're going through that sales process and you've got buyer inquiry or you've got people that you're talking to, what can the developer do during that process to help you along or to, to help you get that sale locked in what what do you look for in the developer um updates are great continuing updates of what's going on so that we can keep people up to date um if sales are slow in the outset and often often the first few are the most difficult to get away um little 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 add-ons you know whether it be uh you know free ducted heating unit or in a free alarm system just little things to get the first ones across the line but more so than anything i think the most important thing in working with the developer is it becomes a very, very clear, very straightforward, very honest communication. Um, for too long, agents have been scared to tell people the truth and they just like to tell people what they want to hear. But I think if you approach any sort of off-the-plan sale as, a, as very much a team-orientated exercise where you can't be, you know, you look at it and say, well, your developer's your partner in this. You know, while they, they're the ones that have put the time and the risk and the effort into it, you can't look at it as a client customer relationship if you like client agent relationship you've got to look at it and say well they've entrusted these sales to us so we become a partner in their success to making sure that they get the results that they need to and in order to do that effectively you've got to have very open lines of communication you've got to have very honest lines of communication if there's an issue then it needs to be raised and if there's a problem on price well it needs to be raised and it needs to be raised without fear that you're going to just say the wrong thing um, and you need to establish that rapport and that and that mutual respect right off the bat. And that has to be one of the very, very first things that's that's created. Um, so having those open lines of communication, being able to discuss issues around the project very clearly and openly and transparently with your clients goes a long way to making sure that the project gets sold out quickly. Yeah, well, I think one of the biggest things developers can do in terms of helping the agent is be available. Mm. So when you ring or if you ring you're there at the other end of the phone to answer the questions that will come up because yeah. I think if you can answer those questions for the buyers might have quickly then it gives you as an agent a better chance at closing the sale there and then or getting a commitment there and then oh, I couldn't, couldn't agree more uh, absolutely you know we'll often get someone who says can we change this can we put this in um, you know we had one the other day in one of our other projects where we didn't have the costing for ducted evaporative cooling and a buyer wanted to know what the ducted evaporative cooling was going to cost. Now we were able to secure those answers within an hour and then go back to the buyer. Um, looks like we should sell that property sometime tomorrow or Wednesday, depending on um, buyer availability. But, you know, being able to, as you say, being able to respond to those requests really, really quickly for a buyer helps us keep them in the loop, keep them engaged in the sale, keep the discussions going. Um, so, yeah, availability from your, to, to your agent from a, from a developer's point of view is paramount. It's absolutely critical. And what about reputation of the developer? Does that play any role in the buyer's decision or is that more to do with an agent having the confidence in the developer and then being able to promote that to the buyer when they come in? It, it is a really common question. You know, one of the things that we're always asked is, have these people built before? Um, I think there's a lot of mistrust in the building industry. We hear too many stories on a current affair and there's not, like there's not enough about agents, but there's certainly a lot about um, 
um, builders, about building projects that don't go ahead, about stuff that's built badly and people lose their money. Now, while this predominantly happens in home building and not apartment or unit building, um, you, you kind of get tarred with the same brush. So we do get a lot of questions as, as to the history of the people that are developing. So having previous, and obviously you can't deter people from doing their first ones, but having previous photos, history, developments, you know, I, I guess social proof that, the prop, that these people know what they're doing and have built really successful projects before is really important. You know, we're forever sending people around on tours of previous projects for, for developers so they can see what else has been built. But what mistakes do you commonly see developers making either with marketing their projects off the plan or selling their projects? Um, as far as marketing, the biggest, biggest, by far and above the biggest issue we see is lack of differentiation, you know, um, building the same as everyone else. And it's much like the real estate industry. If you're doing the same thing as everyone else, then it's very, very easy for it just to fall into or fall by the wayside. Um, and marketing's the same. You know, if you're using the same aspects in your um, in your promotional material, you know, the same style of, of artist impressions, the same style of floor plans, all of that stuff is... It, it just goes to allow that to be you know, become unnoticeable. So, you know, really standing out in off-the-plan sales is, is really important. So from a marketing point of view, choose an aspect that no one's ever chosen before. Um, you know, have kids playing in a park. You know, it's stuff like that that works really, really well. Um, so when people see it, it's memorable. When people see it, it stands out from what is standard. With your experience working with developers, what are the kind of things that they don't do that, or things that you find frustrating with dealing with them? Um, look, I think the big one that I find really frustrating is not being able to get onto people. You know, when you have answers and you've got buyers on the line and you can't get answers back. Um, I had a memorable situation a couple of years back where we were selling an off-the-plan project in Croydon and, you know, the guy that was building it would often take two or three days to answer questions and it killed sales. There's no doubt about it, it killed sales. So that is by far and above the most frustrating thing. Um, not having not having a complete list of inclusions, we, you know, it amazes me there have been times when we've had to really push for that. Like, that's really important. People want to know what they're buying. That's, that's clear and obvious. You know, you can't sell... You can't sell a product if people don't have a really clear understanding what they're getting for their money. So, you know, that's been something that has been frustration. Although we've, we've addressed that with our own our own marketing over the last couple of years. We, we just don't take on developments if they don't have the information that we need. We There was one just recently in Croydon North that's ended up with an outer area agent. It was six units. It was quite a good development, but we just didn't take it on. We decided to leave that to someone else because there was going to be really, really basic, almost sketch-drawn artist impressions. Um, there was no list of inclusions. There was no none of the material that we needed so we just didn't feel that we were going to be in the best position to do the right thing by them so dave what's your top tip for developers out there i i think the 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 key points for people to look at when they're looking at developing is look at your market really really understand what's for sale really understand how your product will compare with what else is available um, and work really hard to make it stand out you know look at something that's different look at something that is um, going to be somewhat unique in your marketplace and you'll have a better chance of getting quicker sales, better sales and you know clearly from a developer's point of view the quicker you can finalise all your contracts and satisfy all your, um, all your sales and the better everyone is. So how do you do that? How Just do you get a better understanding <coughs> or a real genuine understanding of the market and what's popular or what would be popular look there really is no substitute for just doing research on realestate.com with the amount of information that's available online you can have a look at everything that's available if you're seeing everything that's three bedrooms two story 18 squares you know and they all look very similar they're all got a very similar outlook they've all got a very similar offering then go different you know if if everything is apartments in your market then just don't build apartments you know build something that's you know, bigger, more house-like. If everything's bigger and more house-like, then go go a different route. Just 
create something, a niche within your marketplace. Um, and every, every market's going to be different, but you know, there's no point just doing what everyone else does because all you're doing is just adding to an ever-increasing stock um, that doesn't give you any point of differentiation. So at the end of the day, understand what's being built, understand that most properties will find a buyer. Like it's not a matter of saying, well, this is a three bedroom area. Everything has to be three bedroom, two story. It's just, it's not the case. And it's been proven not to be the case. You know, you've got to find, it doesn't matter whether it's an apartment, doesn't matter whether it's a small downsize, a two bedroom, single level unit or a large three bedroom. There's a market for everything. There's a buyer for everything. Um, and every type of property will find the right buyer provided it's priced appropriately. So it's a matter of saying, well, there's, there's, there's a shortage of this type of stock. Everyone seems to be building three-bedroom, 18-square units, and there's a lot of them on the marketplace. So in order to maximise my returns, in order to maximise my ability to get the property sold quickly, well, I'm not going to build that. You know, I'm going to build something that caters more to you know, a first home buyer or a downsizer or an investment buyer or, or something like that. You know, um, if there's, if you've got something that's nice and close to a lot of shops and station, well, you know, they're prime stuff for investment buyers. If there's not a lot being built that are, you know, smaller, good quality investment type product, then build those. Um, but, you know... Take- if you've got... Product that's selling, so your three-bedroom, double-storey, 18-square property, isn't that an indicator of that's what the market's asking for and you're, you're safe in delivering that? Yeah, look, sometimes, sometimes safe is, a, is, is, is not always what, it's, what it seems to be. You know, and at the end of the day, sales, I always come back to sales in its very, very basic form is a supply and demand issue. Um, you know, there's a there's a reason why stuff that is a, a little bit rarer always gets a premium price because they're harder to find. So you just don't want to add to an ever increasing stock. If 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 they're all selling and there's not a lot on the market, then yeah, absolutely. Like you're not you're not putting pitting yourself or pitting your product against a multitude of other similar type of properties. Um, but if you have a look at something like realestate.com or domain, and there's fourteen or fifteen three bedrooms on the market and they're all sitting there, well, that's that's a clear indication there's a bit of an oversupply in that type of market. So you aim for something that is probably going to be a little bit more hard, a little bit more sought after and hard to find. Um, so it's, it's a matter of just picking your niche and picking a niche in a marketplace. And, you know, I think real estate marketing in, in general, you know, has been a very much a scattergun and, and approach for, for too many years. But one of the most effective tools that you can have in any marketing across all industries is really zeroing in and niche marketing your stuff. So if you've got something that is going to particularly suit a certain demographic or a certain type of buyer and there's not a lot out there that's servicing that marketplace, then you'd be mad not to tap into that. Now tell me, what's the toughest business decision you've ever had to make? Um, leaving a franchise actually was was one of the toughest, absolutely without a doubt, the toughest business decision I ever made. Um, we didn't leave because we weren't making money. In fact, we were making just ridiculous amounts of money running two large offices. But we took a we took a risk. We took a chance. We decided that the real estate industry was going to change rapidly, um, and we're starting to see that really happen now. And we decided we I remember clearly having a huge discussion with my wife at the time and we decided that you know we had all the nice toys but money wasn't the be all and end all it was better we were better off running something that was more more aligned with our values and more aligned with you know wanting to be able to sleep soundly at night you know we and I talk about how um, real estate agents spend a lot of people's money for self-promotion. Well, we were absolute kings of that. We did that for years. Um, it was through our training through franchises, but we spent, I, I shudder to think the amount of other people's money we spent promoting ourselves. It was vast amounts of money. Um, you know, to give you an example, we'd often run $25,000 a month um, local paper accounts. 
You know, and that's not our $25,000 a month. You know, it wasn't our money that we were spending. It was other people's money. Um, you know, we'd give each other high fives when we ran five or six pages in the local paper, and it's $1,600 a page. You know, it's, it's just, it was a hideous amount of money. But when you're earning a very big income, it's quite hard to walk away from it. But, you know, I think at the end of the day, life is not about money, it's about experiences. And we've certainly learnt more in the last three years since we or five years now since we sold out of the franchise um, than I have in the previous 15 years in real estate so it was a tough decision it was the hardest decision we've ever had in business um, but it's been it's been well worth it and we're, we're very glad we did it so if you could go back in time and talk to a younger David when would it be and what advice would you give him um yeah, look, I wouldn't go back and I wouldn't give myself any advice. Um, I, I think I think we got to where we are. Right now. I think we're at the point we're at today um, all because of the experiences that we've had. You know, everything has a place in life that gets you to where you need to be. Um, you know, we've, we've just come off the back, as I said, of, of winning a state award, being a national finalist for our products and our software. But all of that's been born of the experiences that we had. It was necessary for us to be part of a large franchise. It was necessary for us to get to a point where it was so big and it was so profitable, we had to look at it and say, well, what's the point of this? You know, all of that was necessary. It was necessary for us to have the experience of spending other people's money and then getting to the point and saying, well, like I don't think this is right. You have to you have to have experienced it to know that it's wrong. Unfortunately, you have to have, have been in in other people's shoes before you can make a, a value judgment on that. Um, so I wouldn't go back in time, and I wouldn't give myself any advice because I wouldn't change anything that's happened. And if I if I gave us earlier self any advice, I may disrupt the the linear events that happened from from that point onward. And um, you know, isn't that the, that's the story from Back to the Future, isn't it? It is. It is. <laughs> don't, don't mess with the Marty space continuum. into yeah, himself. That's right. Um, but everything's happened. And look, I'm not a, not a big one for fate or anything like that, but everything's happened. All of the experiences that we've had in business over the years have led us to where we are today. Um, and, you know, as I say, we've, we've just come off the back of some fairly major awards. We're getting a lot of interest in our software now. We've just released it to New Zealand. Um, we're just finalising today and tomorrow the, the, the pages for uh, um, a large franchise, funnily enough, but a large franchise in New Zealand to take it up. Um, but all of that was born from the experiences that we've had. Well, Dave, if people want to get in touch with you, where can they find you or how can they find out more about you? Um, our website is marketshareproperty.com.au. All of our contact details are on there. Um, we have an office in Exeter Road in Croydon North. They can always drop in and see us. Um, we have a lot of information these days on our website, a lot of blog posts that sort of talk about where we came from and why we're at where we're at. Um, and, you know, all of our staff and profiles are on there. But, you know, feel free to contact us at any time. We're happy just to have a chat. Well, David, thanks very much for being on the Property Developer Podcast. I'm very grateful to you for your time and for your insights. No problem. My pleasure, Justin. See you later. Thanks. See ya. Okay, there you go. Another great conversation about selling your development project. I hope you picked up some ideas and inspiration for marketing your stock. Having a good selling agent on your team is really important to the overall success of the project. Here's three things that I took away from our conversation. One, try to stand out from the crowd. In a crowded marketplace, you need to stand out from the competition, and there are many, many ways to do this. Get great renders produced to start with. I mentioned Upwork.com as a place you can look to find a good renderer. Or another site is EasyRender.com. Thanks to listener Graham Fan for putting me onto that site. It doesn't have to cost a fortune to get good renders done these days. You should also work on emotive copy to emotionally engage your prospective buyers. Again, a site like Upwork.com can help find copywriters if you don't feel this is your strong point or your agents either. And of course, the overall design of your project can help you stand out. So find the best designers you can afford and deliver something of quality that people will desire to live in or buy. 
Two, develop videos to promote your project. As David and I discussed, video is essential these days if you want to reach more potential buyers. And it's not that hard to create simple yet effective videos. Whether that be animating still images with some music or getting a production company to create a killer video. And everything in between. I think videos with a developer explaining why they are doing the project is good or a video with a designer and agent promoting the benefits of the project are really beneficial. And they only need to be short and sharp from one to two minutes long. You can then use these videos on your online listing or through your website or other sites like Facebook, Twitter or Instagram. The options are many and it's all about helping your project to stand out and get noticed. Three, research and understand what your market wants. This was David's top tip. Make sure you understand what your intended buyer is wanting and deliver up that product. You should be able to get some good market feedback from local agents about what buyers are looking for and also if the market is flooded with a particular type of property. Though, keep in mind the time it takes to get your project to market, by which time the market might have shifted and buyers wanting something different. Agents will also tell you products that they think are easy to sell, which may not necessarily be something that you want to produce. Alright, we are nearly at the end of another show. Don't forget to check out my latest project video. You can view it in the show notes for episode 24 over at propertydeveloperpodcast.com. And you can check out my Instagram feed at propertydeveloperpodcast for all my latest videos and property developer porn pics. And finally, you can find all the past episodes of the show over at www.propertydeveloperpodcast.com. Okay, until next time, may all your project marketing stand out from the crowd. You've been listening to the Property Developer Podcast. Tune in next time for more tips, ideas, and inspiration to take your developing to the next level. For more developing love, make sure to visit propertydeveloperpodcast.com. Hold up. 